Legends say, in ancient times, when the gods walked with man, within the traditions of the Norse that were passed from the Celts, that there were warriors who traveled through the spiritual realms. These warriors spent their days on earth as shamans, guiding the members of their clan to spiritual understanding. These shamans knew the Lanvedi. They were known as Ulv Hefnar of Odin, the Allfather, and Valhalla. Today, the modern Ulv Hefnar continues the tradition of using magic and wisdom to help our clansmen and women find harmony. In the traditions of our ancestors, the Ulv Hefnar now invites those who seek knowledge to come forth to the circle of knowledge to share our experiences and find commonality amongst all. Following in the traditions of his ancestors, Dr. Mark Wiseman offers hope and peace in his message of understanding our personal spirituality. Join us now for this week's message here with the Alaska Ulv Hefnar. Let us call upon the house of Odin in Asgard that he and Freya will hear our desires and provide us with their favor. Hail Odin, Lord of Asgard, warrior and wanderer, valiant and wise, you to whom all the gods of Asgard look. Sky Father, on the eight-legged steed, you who traded an eye for wisdom and ruled a turbulent realm, give us the wisdom to accept the twists and turns of fate, even as you surrendered yourself to the mercies of the Norn. Protect us, all Father, from what harm may come to us. Lead us through the wilderness and bring us safely to that great hall that you reserve only for the brave of spirit. Odin, we come to you today to seek your wisdom and guidance. We ask that you bestow upon those here the wisdom about the subject in which we speak. Be with them as they go forth and live their lives. Let us sip the cup of Odiner to bestow the wisdom of Kvasar. We ask for your guidance that you be with us and guide us through the challenges that hell lay before us. Help us to recognize Loki as he attempts to deceive us, our true path. Hail Odin. There once was a time, way back in history, long before the Jewish peoples of the Middle East began the practice and control of their people's understanding of the mysterious forces of the world. There were men and women who interacted directly with the spirits. They recognized the balance maintained by these spiritual forces throughout all of existence. Today, I'd like to take a minute 
to express my understanding of the practice around monotheistic and where it took a darker, more sinister path. Now, before one gets upset, I understand the recognition of a singular deity figure. I get it. However, knowing what you think you know about your deity, don't you think it might, just maybe, be a little arrogant to think that he, she, or they have only one presence? Could the same deity be viewed from other, maybe any other angle? Maybe in another form, or even a different way altogether. For most of the world's population, the idea of a religion seems to indicate some sort of spiritual connection. This is not the case, as there are many tasks we do each day religiously that are not, at any point, spiritual in nature or intent. This then begs the question as to when and where did the corruption within what would become religion come from? To begin a discussion on this topic, let us travel back in time, back before Judaism came from the lands of the Middle East, in the days when local individuals would interact with the spiritual forces of their world directly, as was the expected norm of that day. While their immediate ancestors had witnessed tasks committed by the deity and interacted with the spirits of the lands personally, just as importantly they recognized that natural phenomenon happened all around them. These were those tasks and events that were included in what many indigenous tribes come to refer to as the mysterious powers. So let us spend a minute and discuss the idea about all roads lead back to Rome, whereas all identified deities are the same entity. While many have approached me about the idea that my gods are a sin against their quote-unquote one true God and therefore not worthy of a place in their described heaven, they are looking at the idea of a deity with a very narrow view. There are thousands of debates I can have with that statement, and certainly against a steadfast belief that this is the only manner in which it can be true. 
I mean, really, how egocentric and single-minded can one be? The idea that we each gaze upon our recognition of a deity or spiritual entities with the same singular laser-focused ideology is absolutely ludicrous. This is the predominantly male human mind's self-absorbed view of a theology. As we know that the early church leadership was mostly, primarily, old white men. If your God is as infinite as you say, then he, she, or they would be visible by all different parts of the world, who then would use their native tongue to describe and address them. Therefore, each of the millions of different perspectives see this deity in a little different way. In the much the same way the peoples of central Alaska view the Great One, or Denali, differently, depending on whether you see it from the north, looking south, the south looking north, east looking west, or west looking east. It may look very different from each of those points. This too is the way with viewing our spirituality. And now, a short break for these commercials. You're listening to the Alaska Ulf Hefnar. Welcome back to the Alaska Ulf Hefnar. As I mentioned before we went to break, that this too was the way of viewing our spirituality. I making it a parallel to looking at Denali here in Alaska, the highest peak in North America, and looking at it from these multiple different directions, it may look very different from each of those points. And I was saying that the similarity is in the way we view our spirituality guided only by our ancestors and the land spirits or land Vedi. It matters very little the label that our finite minds attach to such wondrous beauty of a deity. It only matters the love we feel from it and the love we pass to others. As we seriously ponder an idea of a single entity to guide and care for our human forms, let's discuss the influence of land spirits. Now, many people have told me that these spirits are the angels and demons that affect our perspective in life. However, I am here to say that that is just not the way it is. The Lenvedi are all of those consciousnesses 
that exist on the physical plane that are not human or that currently do not reside within a physical form at all between the entities that my ancestors called the Lanvedi or spirits of the lands as others have called it and those entities who have passed beyond the physical form we are surrounded by entities who offer healing and wisdom at our request at the quantum level of our physical existence is the energy particles that are transferred between these spiritual entities and our spiritual self which as you may recall is at the center of our physical self it is this energy transfer that our brains can interpret as either healing or ancestral experiences that our mind uses to form our wisdom it is this transference that then has the potential to alter our very DNA the building blocks for the physical body to replace dying cells or even dead cells throughout our body to have an honest conversation about the corruption of mainstream religion we have to speak about the dirty stuff or the reasons the realities about what made these mainstream religions take hold in the general psyche of the world's population and the negative effects they would have for hundreds of generations while the reduction in necessary considerations possibly aided in its mass adoption the unique perspectives created by intimate relationships with the spiritual entity was intentionally drowned out and in most cases identified as calls of evil this truly marked the point in history where the general population began to lose their connection to these spiritual entities and energies i've mentioned before but the first of these dirty parts was the societal application of guilt and shame while this was not the first time this form of behavior control was used it was the first time it was used on the scale that it was the idea that many of the applications of shame on others was a direct need for the church body to increase its membership and reducing the conflict by applying shame on those who didn't comply we witnessed the first time in history where the effects were propagated from all directions
parents forced it on children, and children inadvertently forced it on parents, as was the master plan of the use of shame. Throughout the millennia, this would become the single largest factor in the adoption of these new practices. By ensuring that the population instituted the intrinsic cycle of negative guilt inside caused by the shaming, the church leadership was able to manipulate the acceptance of these new societal control mechanisms. Throughout the generations, this idea of public shaming and negative psychology is what fostered the people to be divided and ultimately controlled by the upper classes within the church organization. In most cases, this gave the church leadership the license to kill hundreds of thousands of peoples throughout the millennia, as well as exerting dominance over many groups of peoples. The ability to pit the population against each other allowed the church to have a comforting effect for those underserved. Just as importantly to know here, it was this perceived injustice that the early church had created that allowed them then to be perceived as catering to these subclasses. This created segregation that remains in many different lands of the modern day. The next negative effect would be the idea of a general population maintenance system that is installed as part of their core teachings. This meant that there wasn't any flexibility in the behavior of the participants. As we may remember, Martin Luther was considered a heretic during the Reformation, essentially breaking up the early Catholic Church to form the Lutheran following. This maintenance became known as the conform or die methodology, which has led to the thousands of spin-offs that have, well, convoluted the spiritual realm. These manipulations are simply a byproduct of the rebellion against the intolerance, embraced heavily by the church.
And now, a short break for these commercials. You're listening to the Alaska Ulf Hefnar. Welcome back to the Alaska Ulf Hefnar. Make no mistake, a primary reason for the rise of fame and fortunes of this early church leadership throughout the millennia has been the fortunes amassed. Now, the idea that the early leaders of these religions embedded in their teachings that each follower should donate a percentage of their earnings to the church for them to distribute to the poor. Each of these givings then multiplied by the early population up to some of the most wealthy in history. It is then no surprise that the fortunes raised by the church off the backs of the poor were then stolen by my ancestors as they visited England and France. These spoils were then redistributed to the clan, making some well-to-do, but paying the way for safety and security, especially for the 250 plus years that my ancestors involved themselves in helping the church properly distribute the wealth, instead of hoarding it. Many of the ruling classes throughout history have been drawn to enforce this new religion because this potential of including church wealth in state wealth. This inclusion has led to many wars and conquering throughout the existence of the church. To change our direction with this conversation and finding a better way forward, I would like to think about the perspectives around our puddle. Let us think momentarily about our spiritual beliefs as that puddle. In its natural state, the puddle is clear and allows us to see through the water to the bottom able to clearly inspect what keeps the puddle from draining away. However, when someone throws something in the puddle or steps in it, the water becomes murky and blocks the view of the foundation beneath. In much the same way, our spiritual beliefs are clear and we can make sense of them and sense of all things until a contrasting belief is thrown into our processing. And all of a sudden, we are unable to see why we believe what we believe. Each living form sees their spirituality connection a little differently. Between their chemical and their ancestral genetic makeup it allows us to filter data differently while believing in a single omnipotent deity makes absolute sense when you consider the interpretation of our deity's message passing through our aura 
regardless how many voices are speaking on the other side, if you are only listening to a singular input, you will only get one stream of messages. And that is perfectly acceptable. It makes absolute sense. However, if the spirit is changing its tone and giving different messages, then you possibly could be hearing multiple deities on the other end. And that's totally acceptable as well. Like physical life forms, deities can have different attitudes and interactivity at different times, possibly creating an illusion of multiple entities. But ultimately, it really doesn't matter. What does matter is our understanding that it is our spirit that moves us. Irrelevant of deities and spiritual entities, as we too possess a spiritual self that we may connect to and from many other entities around the world, even off-world. The thing to know about the negativity behind the modern church. We need to be very uh, cognizant of the difference between the theology and the practice. The practice is merely those motions that we go through. That is our quote-unquote religion. It is the things we do on maybe on a certain day of the week. It is the things we act upon. We tell our friends and our family um, that, you know, they believe something else, therefore they're going to hell. Those types of things are the practice. The theology is when we simply say, we believe in a deity, we communicate with a deity, the deity fills our soul, it makes us whole, and we, we, they give us, you know, they provide for us, they grant us these things. That part, belief in that energy that can help us in our lives, is the theology. The everything else, all the actions, all the things we have to do or need to do, should do according to church leadership, those are practice. And there are two forms of the practice. There is the growth practice. Um, I believe the church calls them evangelical. There is the maintenance portion, which is where we see many times uh, others will say, you know, if you believe something differently than I do, you're wrong. My God is the one true God. My way is the one true way. Everything else is evil. It's bad. You're going to hell. Those are all mechanisms of a practice. And those are what I believe is what created many groups, particularly 
uh, more um, uh, satanic or anything in, in rebellion against the Christian church. Christian being a lot uh, more uh, kind of a public target, but they're a public target because of their history. So <laughs> it's kind of a double-edged sword. My point here is we need to look past the practice and understand that monotheism, polytheism, or, or atheism, these theisms is our personal relationship with a deity or deities and a spiritual realm and spiritual entities. It would be very akin to me visiting your home and telling all your friends that they don't really like you. They just like what you're doing for them, whatever that is. It's a very much the same kind of idea. Our personal relationships with the deities and the spiritual entities need to be protected.